You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Leopoldo Gu is a visual artist, award-winning author, filmmaker, and producer who believes that the arts can be a powerful driver of social change. Eva Arigius is an award-winning filmmaker, writer, and animal rights activist. Her films include The Favor, The Blue Eyes, Children of the Street, La Santa Muerte, Chui, The Wolfman, and Goodbye Horses. Thank you for joining me, Leo and Eva. Hello. Thanks for having me. Very nice to meet you, Rick. Their new novel is Monarcha. It's a remarkable achievement and a remarkable creation. And the first thing that I have to ask is because it's so complicated, it's a very complicated and wonderful uh, illustrated novel that offers, you know, images and text. And, and it's very beautiful, but very complex. How did this project come together? How did it come to being? I think magic. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a good deal of that in the book, so not surprising. Yes, yeah, so you are both living in magic reality as well as writing it. Yeah, I think uh, the world wanted us to meet um, and make this beautiful baby and put it out in the world because for years I wanted to work with Eva, who's a brilliant writer and film director and music connoisseur and, you know, woman about time and mother and and I've always tried to I sent her like five projects and she and she said no to all of them um and uh I've I was a long time ago uh, I took my family to Michoacan and my daughter Ines um who was four at the time she's uh currently she's a very accomplished ballerina and while in Michoacan butterflies kept landing on her head and it was beautiful. It was, they would just, for whatever reason, they chose her. And I started to think about this story. Uh, many, many years later, I, I had a feel, I started writing it and I had a feeling that I wanted to collaborate with somebody who was an, you know, a, a, an echo warrior, a true echo warrior, somebody that understood the fragility of them because I, I didn't know you know, I knew what I could research, but I hadn't lived a life. And I wanted this book to be really authentic. So my first and only phone call was to Eva. And without thinking, she said, yes, but I passed the mic to Eva because she can tell a little bit more and then we'll ping pong this conversation. That sounds great, Eva. So, so yeah, when Leopoldo called me with this idea, um, you know, to write a book about a Mexican-American girl who transforms into monarch butterfly and does the migration to Mexico. Um, I thought it was a wonderful idea. Um, it, um, you know, in, I also have a young daughter and, you know, we, and uh, I had been working a lot with the idea of human animal hybrids and kind of telling stories from an animal's point of view. Um, and, um, so it just seemed like a wonderful opportunity to sort of create a work together, sort of inspired by and dedicated to our daughters. Um, so, you know, Ines, the, the main character is the name of 
Leopoldo's daughter and Josephine, the main butterfly is my daughter's name. And, um, and yeah, it was just a very, uh, a, a very organic collaboration where, you know, we immediately, as soon as we decided to do it, just came up with a story, you know, very, it was a very fluid process, you know, like. We I was a little scared it. because, you know, Eva intimidates me. She's really red. She's very smart. And I thought, holy, holy carambas, how the hell am I going to like uh, co co collaborate with somebody's heart? You, you, you know, you have different ideas. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I must say that it was just a, from day one was just a pleasure. Ideas w would come pour out of our heads and she would say something. I'd love it. And you would make the story better. I would say something as well. Sometimes she loved it. Sometimes she didn't. But it was a very fluid, non like we didn't work in the space of ego. We really, for whatever reason, we felt the magic. And here's where the big shoe will drop to your audience. I hope you're recording this because this is a very important part of our story. I was, I called her because of her documentary film work. I didn't know. I knew that Eva's dad was a very well-known poet, but that's it. And I've read some of his poets, poetry. You know, I didn't, I didn't take that... I didn't take that much into it uh, or think about it. And I wanted to tell you the part of the magic, which is very surprising. And I think your audience will love it. And then Eva can affirm it or, or, or say I'm crazy. But I, I knew her, her family were activists and I knew her dad was a famous poet, but that's it. And then we were working in Los Angeles for like maybe a week or something. And Eva asked me, oh, you, you, you wanted me to work on this book because of my dad. And I was like, no, your dad. It's like, I love your dad, but it, it never crossed my head. I don't know what you're talking about. So what it turns out, which really makes my skin, my, my hairs crawl up and I get the chills every time I say it. I want Eva to say it because this is something I didn't know about her family. We were working on this project. We were working on butterflies. We were working on the monarch butterflies for 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 many weeks, and then and then suddenly Eva revealed something to me. Um, well, basically, my father is from Michoacan. He grew up in a village called Contepec, uh, where the monarchs spend the winter. You know, in the the part of Michoacan where the monarchs overwinter. So he grew up watching this. You know amazing phenomenon every year of, you know, millions of monarchs arriving. And, um, you know, they, they say that the, there's this one biologist who sort of discovered where the monarchs went, you know, in like the late 50s or something or in the 60s. But obviously, the people in Michoacan, you know, they knew where the, the monarchs went a long time before that. Um, but um, so uh, the there was a lot of logging going on in, in the area um, in the 80s. And so my father uh, basically convinced the president of Mexico at the time, Salinas de Gortari, to turn the, the areas, the mountains, the forests where the monarchs spent the winter into protected sanctuaries. So that was one of his, my parents, one of their biggest campaigns with the group of 100, which was the environmental group was turning the, the monarch forests of Oyamel trees into protected sanctuaries. And then when he was uh, ambassador of Mexico to UNESCO, he also had it declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, 
which gives it another layer of protection. Um, so protection of the monarchs and sort of seeing the monarchs growing up is, was very much part of my DNA and my, you know, ancestry. And this is also well, a book about ancestry and ancestors and, um, so it's so weird. I mean, I, I have, I literally could, I mean, I have a lot of people that I would have, uh, that, that I could collaborate with and I do collaborate because as a writer in film and TV and the way I make books, I collaborate all the time with different people. And I can't believe that I, that, that this happened, that, that, that her father and her family are so connected to the core of the story. Because when I called her, I only, I knew is that she liked animals and that she was a true eco warrior and that I had something to learn from Eva as a mother, as a woman, as a person connected to that world, to that animal kingdom and nature. And, um, and that was my motivation. But then the layer of magic is that her dad had something to do with the core of her story. So it was really remarkable. That is remarkable. I, and it plays out in the plot of the book. And it's such a wonderful book. Uh, talk about creating, uh, you know, just deciding on the format of the book. I love the, love, love, love the format of the book. I'm not a super duper fan of graphic novels. I, it's just that I'm really old. And, I, and when I was a child, my dad said, you are not to read comics. There are fantasy in comics. You cannot live in a fantasy world. Here's Jack London. Okay, here's Jack London. <laughs> I always read, but I think I, I love illustrated books. And I always have loved illustrated books. And this is lushly illustrated. It is um, you know, it bubbles up to the edge of being a graphic novel, but isn't. So talk about the decision to make it a, an illustrated book where there's illustrations on literally every page, I think, and not use the graphic novel uh, format. Well, first of all, I would like to say something to your dad, wherever he is, because he's wrong. And I will argue that one of the core sources of my inspiration as a, as a visual artist and as a creator has been, um, you know, cave paintings, you know, 30, 40,000 year old cave paintings. And they were the first storytellers of where the humanity left an imprint. And, you know, I, I, say there was a lot of more women doing those stories back then when when the the gods didn't define gender as we define it since the you know since since 2000 years ago um and visually and intellectually those cave paintings to me they're not ancient art uh, to me art is a pulsation that is timeless and you can access and that's why picasso was great at looking at african art and remodeling it and uh, inspired by African art and kind of like remixing it in a modern modernist level. Um, so, so when you, when you see a graphic, uh, any illustrated novel or a graphic novel, I argue that it's connected to a very, very long tradition of pictographic uh, expression of stories and, you know, Egyptians and Mexicans, and there's a lot of, of, of juice there. I did ask, um, Eva, what she thought, and she's a visual artist as well because she makes movies. So for both of us, I think, I mean, you could, you should, you should, you know, Eva, please interrupt me. Um, what do you, what do you think? Because I'm also very interested in, in your, your mind process on this, on this side. Yeah, I mean, Leopoldo's a wonderful painter, so it just seemed 
like a you know it just made sense to to make it visual as well as literary and also you know we want it's we sort of see it as a book for all ages um you know children young adults adults um not so young adults but um you know Rumpy i think elderly I think having the visual, elderly as you said <laughs> i think having the visual elements will also make it more appealing to to the younger readers to you know children and young adults and and teenagers and um it's very important for us to have that audience those readers because you know really you know we're trying to to present sort of sort of an environmental message in here as well of you know being more connected to the natural world being more uh connected with your ancestry doing very concrete thing you know the very concrete challenges that the monarchs are facing their existential threats they're facing and you know the with the at the end of the book a whole call to action things that one can actually do to help them so you know um i have a lot of faith in the younger generations right now you know the this uh, you just see the activism you know uh, greta thunberg david hogg like all these kids really you know using the internet in the way it should be used you know which is for activism getting information out um so you know we're, we're we have a lot of we're the our children and the younger generations um are inheriting you know a very poisoned and destroyed planet from us and you know we have to help them save it as well you know there's a lot they're the ones who are really going to have to deal with the the repercussions of you know they'll capitalism need, and industrialization and overpopulation and you know and they'll need the creative inspiration the idea just the inspiration to create something completely new and this book is a great source of that because what you do is you immerse us in Iniesta's version vision and then by transforming her into a, a butterfly, you create, give us access to her and the, the readers, access to a really wonderful vision of the world from the perspective of a butterfly. And I think that's super brilliant and it's incredibly well done. Um, talk about, uh, so uh, Leopoldo, did, did you do all the art or did the two of you do the art? How, how did that work? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a visual, I, I'm a trained sculptor and painter and, and, I, and I've been drawing my process as a writer is very visual as well. So a lot of my scripts, for example, or other books start with drawings and, um, and it's very easy. It's, it's kind of a drawing is like a language that it's the easiest form for me to express. And, um, and um, I had, uh, you know, I do want to mention the incredible team at HarperCollins, um, um, at HarperOne, uh, who creatively helped us organize. And my friend, James Manning, who's, a, who's right now lives in Australia, but he, I would send him photographs of my drawings and he kind of helped me uh, make order because it was, I, I work a little bit in chaos and um in in my in my and i can and i have moments of total focus where i can produce a hundred drawings in a in a week 
but um but it's a process that then it takes a lot of time to clean it and figure it out and we had an incredible team and and to be honest also i was always inspired by the knowledge like eva eva's knowledge because it's trans generational i mean she really has knowledge from his parents that gave to her and it's kind of like two lifetimes of information about this uh this kind of fragile planet and how to not just be a passive observer but an active observer and an active person and and that really fed into the art i was i ever was kind of like a um a consciousness that i had in my head as i was drawing because i know her work i know her movies so it was really like to me it was like a i think the paintings are a combination of all, both of us um of her you know explaining to me the gender of butterflies i had no clue that they had the explaining to me that they, they the, it's the only creature that has two dna strands uh, and some scientists think that it because you know butterflies come from two different animals so so it, it it's really a combination of the the two minds that produce this art i think yeah well that's very kind of you lopolo um he i mean he you know unfortunately i actually wanted to be a painter when i was growing up but i could never reproduce sort of what i imagined in my mind um and decided to go for like you know visual arts so you can organize reality like photography and film and video instead but you know i i would love to have been able to do what lopolo does like he's just so talented um and i really i didn't really have anything to do with the art beyond us deciding jointly you know what parts you know what illustrations we definitely needed like okay we definitely need something of this scene of the butterfly catcher and we definitely need something of you know the crocodile the alligators the butterflies on their heads and you know like just saying okay these are very crucial moments very visual moments and um and and yeah you know i had a little bit of input as to like which drawing he made many he made many more drawings that aren't in the book so you know and i would sounds help, like that. help choose the drawings and you know make the selection but but really it's yeah the drawings were all his his creations it sounds like the ultimate combination of both writing a book which is sort of an ivory tower process. I mean, you can only write a book by yourself in a sense, or there's a, you can collaborate, but when you're actually doing the writing, it's just you. And it sounds like a wonderful kind of organic combination of that and also filmmaking where you have images, you shoot a lot of film, and you leave a lot of images on the floor as Leopoldo described it. Um, you know, I, I love the sensibility that you have in this book of the generations, because there's three generations right there in the pages, big characters, means a lot. Talk about the experience that you had, you know, maybe elaborate what you had with your father and also Leopoldo. Talk about visually creating that, the sensibility, the layers of, of the generations, because we like to think that one generation is here and another generation is here and another generation is there but that's not the way it happens it's organic they all grow at the same time and you know i, I become an old man while my kids grow up and have kids and so it's not like you just have 
these people, and then these people instantly appear fully formed in whatever form we're used to them, and those people were fully formed. Talk about creating that organic feel in the story and in the images and between the two of you. Uh, Leopoldo? Oh, um, I always like the... Um, I'm always interested in, in, in Eva's uh, connection to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll start if you want. Um, I lost my mom, um, who is mentioned in the book. She, the same Andrea is like the grandfather, the grandmother in the, in the, in the book. And she was larger than life. And I also had, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of culture in my house, lots of books and radio. She had lots of radio shows in Mexico. Um, and she was still larger than life. I still have, you know, so many people that come to kind of ask about her and talk about her. And um, and she comes from also a very powerful woman. So I was very interested in that, um, in kind of like mentioning the magic that I grew up with. Like, I'll give you a little story that really influenced my, one of the elements of the book, which is the, the, the Purepechuas who live, the, it's an indigenous population that live in Michoacán where the monarch uh, come. And um, my mom used to support a lot of uh, movements for the indigenous people in Mexico and she helped it with time and resources. And however, she came since the 70s, you know, um, and uh, but she didn't do it in a very public way. She just did it by helping specific families and, you know, and she did wonderful things uh, together with them and learning from them. And one of my, this is a story that I love to tell because it's so short and it's so, and it shows you how magical Mexico can be. Um, they used to come and, and show her some masks, uh, you know, that, that she would buy uh, from them. Uh, they would come, you know, walking all the way from Michoacán to Mexico City and bring a bunch of different things to, to, to show her. And some of the masks were gigantic with fully adorned and they were less expensive than some of them that were tiny. And I remember very clearly one day I was asking the, the this amazing woman that, that brought them and, and, I, and, and she said uh, she used to price them on the value of how much they were danced. So as they were wearing them and dancing with them and imbuing them with their magic, that's why some of these masks were more expensive. They didn't see the expense, the big ones had to be more expensive. And that really blew my mind because everything that we learn from the Western civilization is value of wealth and money and, and power. And here you had like this indigenous woman who had her values were totally opposite to what everything my school was teaching me. And it just blew my mind. And my mom didn't say any, not a word, she just, acquired the small one because it was the more powerful one and uh and it was beautiful and i and i and i and i feel that's something that i wanted to kind of uh express in the that joy of of learning from powerful women in my life i wanted to put that in this uh, in this book in a in a place to show my daughter and, and josephine eva's daughter my, my daughter is ines and josephine is eva's daughter to put a little bit of that magic in their hands. Um, and I pass the mic to, to Eva. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I totally agree with Leopoldo. 
um, my parents have a huge mask collection in Mexico and they're all, all the masks are what they call danzadas, you know, which means they've been used in these different dances and ceremonies. Um, but, um, and there's just the value of um, experience and ancestral memory and, you know, the, these sort of lessons or experiences that you you inherit, um, you know, which have, there's no tangible value. It's just sounds like a spiritual value. Um, I mean, the, the question of sort of generational, generational and ancestral themes um, in the book, you know, there's really, it's really in three, three different aspects of it. There's uh, what we've been talking about, like, we're, you know, we wrote this book sort of for our daughters, inspired by our daughters, but then our parents, you know, my father Homero and Leopoldo's mother Andrea play very important characters as well. Um, so, you know, with the characters and, and the writers, there's these, you know, we're exploring these, you know, generations from our personal lives in, in this fictitious story. Then there's obviously the, the generational story of Ines and being a daughter of the sun and, you know, these generations of girls that came before her going back to the Purepecha times and this sort of creation myth that we came up with of why she turns into a butterfly, you know, and the relationship between her family and the butterflies. And then uh, third, and, you know, is the the monarchs themselves, you know, the, the just this amazing, um, this amazing journey that every fourth generation of monarchs takes um, down to Mexico, flying 3000 miles to a place that none of them have ever been. And they, you know, they all arrive at these same Oyamel forests in Michoacan. You know, they just know how to get there um, and what to do and just, um, yeah, just the, the wonders of, of the natural world and of instinct and of ancestral memory and, you know, the, that navigational pull, um, you know, and then there's the three other generations of monarchs, which are important as well. You know, they're the ones that sort of, that our, our fourth generation gives birth to this first one sort of, you know, at the end of the winter and then they fly north a bit and then the second generation flies north a little more and then the third generation, you know, is sort of born in like early summer in the United States or Canada, and then their offspring are the ones, are the fourth generation that go to Mexico and live a lot longer, you know? Um, so it's it's also just, um, you know, the, this fourth generation is the generation that allows the whole monarch species to, to stay alive because they, they escape the winter. Otherwise all the monarchs would die in the winter and that would be it. Um, so it's just really a, um, you know, the ancestral and generational theme is is very important, obviously, on, on three on all three levels. One of the things about Monarca is it does a great job at describing, you know, a way to honor your ancestors. That's what, in part, that's what the book is about. And one way to honor your ancestors is to preserve that which they have passed upon to you, in this case, the entire earth. And I think that you guys do a great job of having Ines's experience 
expands so that she understands that one of her can make a difference for the entire earth. That's one of the par parts of the book I think that's really well uh, put together. So talk about, you know, incorporating um, uh, polemic sort of ideas, you know, we need to save the earth, we need to preserve the environments, which are, when you just say them like that, are the kind of things that will generally make a, a child's eyes glaze over and ask for a Pop-Tart or something. Um, so how, how do you how did you design the book, both visually and uh, in terms of the text and the story, to um, bring us to this point where the idea that one can make a difference for many? I mean, uh, one of the most important things is what I learned from Eva. So to me, the whole process of this book was to listen and to learn from her experience in this field of activity, uh, of being in, you know, I, I, um, be more active in the in the protection of the planet. And um, not that I didn't do things, but she's a real committed uh, force of nature on that. And um, but I wanted to, to to talk a little bit about magic, and then I let her explain you more in detail of that, because the one of the things that are crazy while we were i was investigating all the butterflies is that you know every it's it's such a small little creature but it's travel it's one of the creatures that travels the most um it's weird that every culture from around the world has uh, uh a phrase that expresses you know when you're in love you feel butterflies in your stomach and every culture also has an, a version of expression that when a butterfly wings flap, you can you can feel a, a storm gets formed on the other side of the world. To me, it's about a lot of the projects that I that I've done is how do you hide medicine in the storm, uh, you know, and how do you hide it so that it doesn't feel like medicine, that it feels like beauty and and uh, and community and um, legacy and love and magic. How do you put it enough to imbue a work a work of, of of you know a work of art if you want to call that and make just influence a little bit the the minds of a few people and like you know in, in our in our souls that are the, my goal was like very tangible to to talk to my daughter and say because she is very you know she stopped at some point to stop but on her own to eat meat and she's she refuses to buy any clothing that is new and it's her own decision. I've not, you know, she, she's very strong. Uh, so, so she only buys clothes when, when it's from like the, you know, the, the $1 uh, clothing stuff. And then she manipulates them. And, and she's a teenager that she's made some very big decisions in reaction to what she sees in the world. So to me, it was uh, a pleasure to learn from Eva and, and also learn from these magical creatures that they keep surprising us as we were developing the project. But what do you think, Eva? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the same, like it's the, the message, one of the many messages in the book, I think is, you know, um, no one's too small or too young to make a difference, um, you know, and if you look at, you know, countless, um, you know, ins inspiring figures in our history, 
you know, it's there's you can you see the power of one individual to do something. Um, so we want you know children reading the, this book to to feel like oh wait maybe I can do something important as well you know and then obviously just saying like a butterfly a butterfly is tiny but they you know they are able one butterfly is able to make a big difference too but then not so we're sort of trying to keep the to say like you can make a difference but also showing um the power of community right so one person can do a lot but if you have a lot of individuals doing a lot then it's a then you have a tsunami of change or or you know um of so um you know you one know, of the uh, ideas by or others as similarly you know and it's also you know trying to also the power of art you know of literature of film of of painting to also you know communicate these things to to others you know one of the uh there's a you know a well-known phrase about a butterfly flapping its wings in the amazon you know change creates a typhoon half the world away and i think that this idea of that you create of this swarm of butterflies is equivalent to a crowd of people and i thought that was a really beautiful image and also you know as the as the the story moves on it brings up you know the importance of maintaining that community and those those strands uh, so talk about you know the making use of the the butterflies perspective because you guys do a magnificent job of that i really love all the ways that the butterflies perspective gives you the opportunity to bring out some of those kind of polemic thoughts you know that we need to we 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 are driving a spaceship and trying to punch holes in the side of it and, and that's probably not a good idea eva you you should start um well, so yeah, the butterfly's perspective is kind of a mix of, um, you know, the research we did about how butterflies see and compound their compound eyes, and you know, the being guided by the sun during their migration, and you know, a lot of it is sort of you know getting energy from sunbathing with their wings, getting sodium from alligator tears or muddy puddles, like you know, a lot of it was um facts about monarch butterflies that we found considered you know really interesting or striking or beautiful and then some of it is sort of made up you know like um maybe this idea that they're seeing all these you know colorful crazy lines in the sky and that are guiding them or you know it was also just um also using our imaginations you know and and also leopoldo's you know um visual imagination for the drawings to sort of, you know, um, so it was kind of a combination of, you know, um, doing research and, and integrating real facts about butterfly monarchs and their migration. And then also obviously, you know, and, um, and then sort of, you know, the, the, a lot of the fiction part, like, Caligo and you know the and integrating this owl butterfly because it's such an amazing looking butterfly you know um and 
Yeah, I, 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 I mythology. Love... He's kind of like the Yoda of of our of our world, you know. But also, it's like the the when you do when you tell a story, the the perspective because we both also make movies. It's very difficult not to, as we're writing a book, not to go into into the 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 point of view of your lead character. It's it's one of the you know every great movie starts like that it's like you flow into the point of view of someone um and we 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 live in the world that i believe we're very lucky because there's so much access to um medium you know like i, I am doing podcasts and books and movies and art and um and all of the combination of this of these languages to learn from them and to express them in different in, in different forms. And um, as we were working on this project, I, uh, you know, it was, it's impossible not to, that this project doesn't feed into other things that I do. So for example, we were, I was drawing uh, uh, the, the um, butterflies and it, it's not that I, that we, that they see the, the patterns of the magnetic fields of the planet, but I feel that we were, that's what Eva and myself were intuitively thinking about it. So it has a truth because it's based on our, on research and then our imagination. And, and, and when you combine the imagination with a little bit of knowledge, really interesting things happen in the process. So right now I'm preparing a, a, an exhibition of some art, both physical art and digital art all inspired in my in the process of making the this book so so there's lots of plays between things that happen um eventually we're going to work with musicians um i uh that i've re reached out to um with like how does the butterfly swarm sounds and we found some videos in youtube of people recording the swarm in the forests in Michoacan, and that also influenced our way and our perspective on the book. So it's it's kind of a it's not a linear uh, uh, road of, you know, a, a a writer in that ivory tower. I think that's to be very honest, Rick. That that I don't believe in that. I believe some of the greatest writers on any medium have had a lot of like partners. It's just that in the past they didn't they didn't come out like that. Like, for example, we know for a fact that Alfred Hitchcock's scripts were co-written by his wife. She never got a credit, but they had 15 people writing on those scripts. And there's photographs of the writing set uh, of, the, of, the, of his movies. He had 15 people working on each script, and he was kind of like a showrunner of those things. So I feel like the world has changed, and now you can be more realistic to the process of how you work. And I think that it doesn't always work like this and some people really do do prefer to work on their own but for this project it was such an amazing opportunity for me as a as a writer to learn and create with with someone as special as ever it was really amazing and i'm 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 always going to remember that and it's influencing now my paintings and and the art and the future of this project because as i said it's not just that it's a book we want to do many more things out of it and we're going to explore a lot of different things out of it so that people can can learn about this and, and feel about it. And, and maybe we can change the minds of a couple of more people to, to protect the planet, you know, and that, that's that literally that's our, our goal. Mm -hmm. 
well, I think you do guys both do a really good job of it. And one of the things you were talking about, I thought, I think that was really interesting, is the idea that when you view the the real world and view the facts and view science with an eye to imagination or through the lens of imagination, that's where exactly where the magic in this book happens, both between the synthesis of what of her story and words and your images and also between you know the facts i mean because in many ways this is a, a non-fiction book there's so much there's a lot of non-fiction in here but the way we see it is through because the facts themselves are so amazing that it all seems very magical so when we have you know, we learn all these wonderful facts that are just uh, kind of wild and unexpected uh, about the butterflies. And I really never knew about the fourth generation, the way that worked. I knew that there was a migration, but I never knew uh, about all the generations. So when you learn about that kind of daisy chain in reality, the daisy chain of the lines, lines in the sky that the monarchs see connecting everything, and you know that that makes a fair amount of sense, and, and it's that synthesis between, you know, magic and story and science, and between you two, uh, the images and the words that creates a really wonderful and unique piece of fiction that you know is a, is a should will be a landmark in the in the world of uh, magic realism. I hope I hope you can call it um, um, instead of magic realism. I call it it's a realist fable. I like that. <laughs> that that's very good because it. Does... I want to start by changing the, the fact because magic realism sounds uh, you know like it's like my grandmother would read Gabriel Garcia Marquez and it's like like but where's where's the magic you know like life is magical in Mexico so that's why I feel like our project is a realist fable. Mm, I like that idea. Yeah, I like talking about the the lines in the sky that you know connect monarchs to the world and to their destination and guide them. You know, um, it's something we came up with, but it who knows? It might not be fictitious. We don't know. You know, we don't we we can't see through these compound eyes, and we can't see. Um, you know, what is guiding them? I mean, it it could be true. But I think, you know, speaking about those lines in general, it's sort of, they kind of represent a lot of what the book's about. Like, you know, all the connections between different, you know, species and parts of the natural world between different generations. It's these sort of invisible, you know, chords um, that are connecting people or animals in, in time and in space. Um, and I think, you know, also talking about the blending of like the facts and and our imaginations, uh, you know, I think the sort of chapter headings, the four chapter headings were, is sort of a perfect example of what where we're doing that, where we talk about, you know, the stage of the monarchs, you know, the four stages of a monarch's life, you know, the egg, the caterpillar, the, the chrysalis or pupa and the butterfly and what's happening to the actual monarch's body in in each of those four stages but then also like what those stages represent in a more philosophical or you know narrative sense um and then sort of dividing up Inessa's story into four parts that kind of mirror those those four stages as well 
Um, so, but, but yeah, the greatest inspiration, you know, for the book was obviously the butterflies themselves, you know, just the, how, what magical creatures they are. Well, you know, there's actually a fair amount of science these days that suggests something that you say in a book, which is that uh, natural settings have always have the, they naturally inspire humans. And I think that that's a, a really interesting, you know, perspective that, you know, the natural world has the capacity to instantly lift the human spirit. And, and I know that uh, I just talked to somebody who wrote a book about heartbreak. And for her, what she found out what and the research was that experiencing awe is something that will help you recover from that. And and not, I'm not heartbroken, but I make a point of every day going out to the beach and looking at a you know the horizon, doing 180 and seeing the whole beach, the ocean, and, and you know trying to experience awe. And I think this book does a a good job of portraying that idea and that experience. Yeah, but tell tell a little bit to 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 Rick's audience the. You know, one of the things I love the most is how many ecosystems the butterfly migration touches, like from Canada to Mexico, which is the original. They are the original naftas, um, the, the first naftas. And um, I want, because Eva had, you know, like the everything you said of how much they help the, the ecosystems of all of these places, all the way to that, those magical protected sanctuaries where they go to mate and uh and then and anybody in the audience if you look at photographs of the trees covered with the butterflies it's just talking about all oh, it's it's just extraordinary so if i if you if you have any um if you can tell them a little bit of that trip because i when you talked to me about it i was really excited to try to put it into the images as well well they just i mean they just fly through and over a great variety of landscapes, you know, starting in the Northeast of the United States and Canada. Then they go over, you know, some of them fly along the Eastern seaboard over the water. A lot of them fly over the Midwest, over these vast fields, which used to be full of milkweed and now are not because of, you know, the glyphosate and the Monsanto Bayer, um, you know, this these horrible weed killers, which just kill everything um and you know they fly over this this the south over the swamps you know they fly through uh, they all fly through texas you know whether they're there's several routes from canada and the northeast and they all sort of converge you know in texas and to, to cross the border into mexico you know which is all and then the northern mexican desert and then you know finally coming to the the part of mexico which is sort of the the perfect microclimate for them to spend the winter, you know, which isn't too hot or too cold. Um, and at the perfect altitude, which unfortunately is the exact same altitude in the same state of Michoacan where the avocados are, you know, where the avocados grow best is at the same altitude in the same state. Um, but, um, but I wanted to comment on your, your, you know, what you said about how nature, you know, the uplifting, the uplifting nature of nature, <laughs> um, which we try to incorporate into, um, 
you know, the scene where the, the monarchs who are migrating south cross paths with the migrants, the human migrants who are migrating north. And, you know, just how it, it becomes a very uplifting experience for these very weary, you know, tired, hot, hungry, worried migrants, you know, and and just the idea that, um, you know, the, the beauty and the spectacle of, of the natural world and that we're part of that. You know, we are part of that. We, we come from that, but we've lost touch with it so much. But maybe when we, we come in, back in contact with it, we're kind of reminded of, of, you know, maybe we feel like we're home. You know, maybe that's kind of the very calming and, and reassuring and uplifting um, thing that happens when we're in, we, in, the, in the natural world in a beautiful landscape or witnessing some, some you know, magnificent migration is, you know, maybe it's a return to home of sorts, you know. And also, too, I think one thing that, that I loved is when books show us something that should be obvious to everybody and are not necessarily obvious, but when we think of migrate the migrating butterflies, we think, oh, of course some butterflies migrate. And But when they make the migrating people, then you think, of course people migrate too. It's just part of our DNA. And I think that that was a really nice, it, it was beautiful and, and nicely worked out, but very subtle way of making a really important point. There were in the midst, humans always migrate. And, and no matter how inconvenient some people may find that to be, it's just the way we are. And those who might not be think themselves ever wanting to or needing to migrate might all of a sudden transform into the migrating sort overnight. And, you know, we're seeing that right now. So talk about um, this book is a really fascinating and beautiful vision of migration. Migration in this book is something to complete the life's journey, to complete the family's journey, to complete the journey that nature intended for us to take. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think migration is about survival, right? It, it has been, you know, you look at birds that fly south, you look at the butterflies that fly south in the winter. Um, and then you look at nomadic tribes, you know, and people and, and all the ancient civilizations where, you know, which were all founded near bodies of water, you know, like people have always migrated towards natural resources, places where they can survive. Obviously now the migrations are became become more political, socioeconomic, you know, looking for opportunities, fleeing, you know, um, violence or some persecution. But, um, but yeah, migration, you know, um, um, I I went to Tanzania around 10 years ago and got to witness the migration of like, you know, probably 80,000 wildebeest like crossing the Mara River from Tanzania into Kenya. And it was, you know, in August. And it was just one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. Um, but but yeah, it's sort of a reminder of how that we are animals as well, you know. And that there's no and that there's no borders. Um, it's so you know right now looking at what Putin is doing in Ukraine. It's like when the planet is is collapsing, he chose to 
go back in time into a world of fascism and Nazism. And it's just insanity when, when obviously we are all one species that is borrowing this planet. And I hope that um, future in, you know, generations can, can really reject this uh, kind of madness. And, um, you know, also in America, all of the, uh, you know, there's a huge political party that attacks our people and the Mexicans, immigrants, and in the foundation. And it's so weird when the foundation of this country is of immigrants that came here and displaced uh, the people that lived here. And and, um, and it's crazy. And we really do honor in our book uh, the Purepechuas, who who are the kind of protectors of those lands. In the you know the the original nations and original people of that of Michoacan and and we wanted to uh, you know to to honor them uh, as as best as we can. Um, I have Zapotec blood, which is different. It's from Oaxaca and Chiapas, but um, but I really you know it's something that I adore that I love uh, when I found out that I had a direct. Um, relative that was Zapotec um, and all my life I've been very interested in, in how to celebrate and look at them and, and lift uh, you know the, 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 the knowledge that they that they have with the natural world and, and with everything in our country in the magic of our country but um, specifically in, in Michoacan these people have been protecting this habitats for, 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 for since before the Spanish came so um, I, we really hope that this also brings a, li- a little bit of light towards the, those issues. You know, too, obviously a big part of this book is the process and nature of transformation. You divvy it up in a way so that story-wise we can kind of crock it and understand it with the the egg, caterpillar, pupa, butterfly um, divisions. And I think that's really, really wonderful. But also, too, there's the transformation that that Inez makes from human to butterfly that gives her a much access to a much different vision of the world. Uh, Eva, you've dealt with uh, transformation in your film work. I'm I'm thinking of the of the Wolfman. So talk about uh, the import and the way that transformations. The, the kind of mystical mystical transformation that happens here and happens in the Wolfman uh, allow you to externalize and talk about aspects of human humanity and life that are otherwise difficult to talk about. But when, when you put in that transformation, that use that element of the fantastic, you give yourself access to a whole new language. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, Troy the Wolfman is a documentary about a family with hypertrichosis. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of hair on their face. Um, so it's it's not a real transformation. However, um, in my film, Los Ojos Azules, The Blue Eyes, it's about a shape-shifting witch, mm. an Indian Sotsil witch in Chiapas. And she shapeshifts. You know, she turns into a, a dog. She turns into a... a younger woman she turns into a uh, a vulture um but i think you know this is it's it's a concept that's present in all mythologies right um um particularly with gods or or um 
witches or tricksters of some sort being able to transform and change shape. Um, and, you know, for, for when we decided that she's going to turn into a butterfly, Ines's character, we said, well, you know, the reason for it has to lie in some sort of, you know, pre-Hispanic mythology, some pre-Columbian story, you know, because it's, because that's when, you know, you really see this in, in all, in all of the cultures around the world, but, you know, is very much so in, you know, Mayan and Aztec and Olmec and like ancient Mexican cultures is, is the idea of, of transformation and shape-shifting, um, you know, because they were, they were, um, indigenous peoples are much more connected to the natural world. They live within it, alongside it, you know, and I think there's a much larger respect for it. You know, all the gods represented, you know, fire, wind, water, rain, you know, the gods were all connected to the, these forces from the natural world. And, um, so I think, you know, transforming into something from the natural world was, you know, just taking the, 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 the qualities of that, you know, element or animal. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of lies at the, all the, or all the earliest fables and, and myths, right. You know, whether they be Greek or as Mayan or, you know, Norse mythology, just everywhere. Uh, Leopoldo, talk about using the drawings because to, ex again, externalize this idea of transformation because you do that really beautifully. I mean, there's a continuity between the characters and the landscape and the creatures in the landscape. It's a, the entire book, the look and feel of the book is a, of a flowing orange river of butterflies. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I come from a very progressive. I was very lucky to, again, to grow up with my mom who had, you know, she's a single mom and we had an incredible array of, um, to grow up with an incredible array of people from my uncle who, not the real uncle, but he married, like I married my wife in his house and he was this wonderful gay friend of my mom uh, who, who they were like, literally like best friends. So I grew up with a very big diversity of races and genders. And, and, um, and for example, in my first production company in the nineties, I was a kid and our assistant, uh, started as an assistant and then became the production designer of the company. And we were doing music videos and like lots of commercials and short stories, and um, documentary work, and 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 she was a transgender indigenous woman called Vicky Fox. She's still out there somewhere. I think she moved to Spain, but it, we're very open to in our in our tiny company to people uh, of of a big diverse background before it became kind of trendy. I'm talking in the '90s in Mexico where we lost a couple of clients who would say, "No, we, we can't work if if she's coming to set," and we're like, "Well, then we." There's nothing to talk about. So we were, I got the gift of, of, of looking at a, at a world without rules very early on, thanks to my mother. And, uh, and that 
and that people transformed and that places transformed and that and that and that kind of really hit hard when you know that the the butterfly is such an incredible creature that changes its its DNA and and completely reimagines itself. And I've been you know in my own life um, I've had incredible setbacks that where I had to kind of reinvent myself a little bit in the art and in you know in other parts of um in other parts of my of my work so i'm i i think that that was one of the most important parts of this project that we really hope that people from every gender and every decision in their life can can see it because we're not talking about uh we're talking about humans in kind of a swarm and that we can be part of it and help each other and lift each other to the sun so that we can recharge energy and with that energy maybe paint the this this uh world with a little bit of more color um i think that would that 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 is kind of a, a core the message that transformation is good it's not it's not scary it's just part of life you know and and uh and that we can each both all of us we can pick each other up a little bit you know i i feel as a friend i always try to stay a, a step ahead of of my friends and I always go like if I can help I will help you know um and I and, and, and that's part of like the at, at the core the the what what I around what we arrived at as we were working because as I said we didn't have this plan of this book is going to be about all of these things and then we did it we really started just I was writing a story because butterflies were landing on my daughter's head and started to do that, those drawings. And then that evolved as, as I did some research. And then when I met Eva, it was like an injection of, uh, of, 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 uh, of all of this information in hyperdrive. So, so it's in all of the work that I do, it's not a predetermined place. It's like, I know where I'm going to get at. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know more or less that I'm going to get, get somewhere. And then through knowledge and through repetition of it, of, of, of learning and through, and through instinct, things in my process get better. Other people are different. I'm not, this is just my process. Eva's process is different. She's, she's a much more, I think she's more intellectual than I am in some ways. She has more commit, she's been more committed to this, uh, to, to saving the planet since she said a young girl and um so you know it was as, as i've said before in this call um i'm very excited of all the things that i've learned through working with her and i hope that this process is making me a better person at, at the end of it you know so i hope that if people could read the book and and it can inject them a little bit of what i experienced by working with eva and by learning from the butterflies i think that we we we're, we're winning already I mean, I think the process is kind of like the, the butterfly's migration. Like we didn't really know where we were going. We just knew we had to go. And, you know, the four stages of the monarch's life are also kind of like a mirror of our creative process. You know, you have the egg, the idea, and you have the caterpillar that's just eating everything in sight and growing and just, you know, learning, not doing anything, just sort of, you know, collecting information and ideas and then the chrysalis is kind of like the, the writing of the book, putting it all together, you know, giving it its shape. And then the butterfly is now the book that's about to take off on its own and 
you know, we'll see how it does. Yeah. The new novel by Leopoldo Gu and Eva Origis is Monarca. Thank you for joining me. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much. We are we love being part of your community, Rick. Thank you so much for having us. Call us anytime and I can't wait to meet you in person one day. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.